I want to turn you this morning to the fourth chapter, the Gospel according to Mark. Mark chapter 4. For some of you, this will be a message of remembrance. I think of some of the psalms are psalms of remembrance. God would have his people remember his past working. And the God who was faithful to us in the past will be faithful to us in the future. And uh, so there are those who will find this a message of remembrance. There are those who will hear this message, this passage as expounded the way it shall be for the first time. And uh, there are those who uh, will find it, I believe, to be incredibly edifying, instructive, faith-building, where there is faith in Christ, in truth. And so we look into Mark chapter 4. Begin our reading at verse 35, and we shall read through verse 41. And remember, in the life of Christ at this time, that there were multitudes that followed the Lord. There were those who beheld his miracle. There were those who were convinced that he was the Messiah. But they did so on an external sight basis and uh, not on a basis of genuinely comprehending who he was or why he came into this world or the need of salvation from sin. Salvation to the Jewish nation was a deliverance from their external enemies at the time and a teaching of Messiah that was foreign to what the scriptures were teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into the world to save, but he came into the world to save sinners. This passage to which we look is incredibly instructive. In Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 35, And the same day when even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they'd sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? In the realm of salvation, John Newton succinctly wrote, "'Tis grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. Fears come in conviction for sin, fear of facing God, a fear of God, a realization that one shall stand before him and that nothing is hidden from his omniscient sight. And then when God turns that one in truth from themselves to look to Christ, to look to what he's done in Christ and by the cross, to come to him, to trust him and him alone. That faith becomes a reality indeed in a regenerate soul. But it's not understood that at first it's much weaker than imagined. Sometimes, particularly in those who have a actual flooding of the grace of God that they come to marvel at the glory of God's grace and redemption and salvation. They, they may think that faith couldn't get any stronger, 
but actually in its inception, it's weak. It needs strengthening. It doesn't take very long to find out that fears can return, that inward battles can rage, because the one who is saved indeed by God's grace comes to hate the sin that's separated from God. The believer, in the biblical sense, who is true, hates sin, resists it, doesn't want it. And it becomes very difficult when it's discovered that it still resides in the flesh, that it must be resisted. It's now hated, and still it resides within. It's not that there's no sin in the flesh. It's that its power must be broken through the cross by the work of God's Holy Spirit. It doesn't take long to find out that faith in Christ, that faith that looked away from self and only to Him, can be shaken also by sudden, adverse difficulties and afflictions, hard things faced, difficult things. Then, like these disciples in the midst of that fearful storm that day on the Sea of Galilee. Then we learn to cry in prayer. We learn to become fervent in prayer. We learn what it is to seek God fervently, knowing that only our Lord can help us, only He can keep us, only He can calm the storm-tossed soul. Only he can bring us to peace when we're fighting turbulent fears within ourselves. I think of what David wrote in Psalm 56. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. David relied upon the word of God. We're going to see how big a deal that is in our own passage this morning as well experientially we learn that God's help his grace is indeed sufficient for us we learn and oft must I fear we must relearn that his hand is not removed from us that underneath are the everlasting arms and if he didn't keep us we couldn't keep ourselves The trial of faith is absolutely necessary. It's a necessity. It's there to increase our faith. It's also necessary to a true inward peace and look for a peace without external problems to cause the disturbance and the fear. But our God is able to give us peace in the midst of difficult things, in the midst of hard things. As we learn more and more of Him, as we learn of Him, that becomes our task. As we learn more about our Lord and rely more upon His Word and His faithfulness to us, we learn to use the sword of the word of God to the slaying of our true enemy. And our true enemy is unbelief. And it's faith that is the hand that holds the sword. These disciples in that storm-tossed boat, they'd witnessed many miracles of Christ. They'd heard his teaching that astonished those who heard. They saw him healing sick bodies, delivering from demonic oppression, causing the lame to walk, the dumb to speak. But now, now their faith would be strengthened in a way that at first seemed completely destructive to them 
but would end up only destroying the fear that so strongly warred against their faith. This Jesus, whom they followed, not only had power over disease, over sick bodies, over the evil powers of darkness, he even has power over the natural creation. The winds and the waves are subject to his will. When he commands, they will become immediately calm, as if there had been no storm. Ever increasing in their knowledge of him, they would now only cry, What manner of man is this? What manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? With all of the mental picture that this scene that day on the storm-tossed lake of Galilee or the Sea of Galilee may produce in our minds, I pray that God would focus our attention upon the one the storm could not disturb, the one that the storm could not terrorize as it did those disciples in the boat, couldn't even awaken. But there's something so incredibly important in this passage. He would be awakened, not by the howling of the winds or the rushing of the water or the turbulence that moved the ship violently from side to side, that wouldn't awake him. But the cry of his own did. The cry of his own awaked him. As we look at the passage, very important passage, very important event, in the life of our Lord. We understand that these disciples didn't say, well, you know, there's so many people here, we've labored so hard, let's go over to the other side of the lake and have a rest period, let's get in the boat and travel over there. We need a vacation. <laughs> no, that wasn't the case. It wasn't their will to go over to the other side, it was his. He purposed it. He purposed it. He purposed to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It was his purpose. And not only did he then command them to depart to the other side of the lake, we're informed that he said, let us pass over unto the other side. I'm sure glad God in his word put that. Makes known to us that the Lord said, let us pass over unto the other side. It was the Lord's will. It was the Lord's purpose to sail to the other side. And it was a purpose that cannot fail because he purposed it. He purposed it. And his purpose revealed in his word can never fail. That's a point that we must comprehend. Faith laying hold of the word of God that cannot fail. God who cannot lie. His call, answered by his disciples, was the whole reason they entered into that boat, that vessel. His will was behind it. And they would reach the other side. Throughout the word of God, wherever God calls, Wherever he commands, 
wherever by faith obedience to him is true the highest assurance is given that he will be with those who by faith obey him that he will not forsake them that he will be with them it's our responsibility to diligently hear the word of God to trust him and to trust ourselves with him that's really what the matter of faith is we trust ourselves to him we as it were put ourselves into his hands I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day it's a self-abandoned obedience that we're to have and to believe that he will accomplish for and through us exactly what he promises because he purposed it. Herein is the only place of calm. The only place of calm in the midst of the storms that shall surely arise in our journey of salvation heading toward the shore of our heavenly home. Our salvation is in his hands. It's in his hands. And we're called to only trust him. We're called to trust him like a little child trusted parents. We're called to trust him with a childlike faith and to lay hold of his word. There's a great promise in Isaiah 26 reiterated drawn from, I believe, by the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Those disciples would not be alone on that perilous journey. Because not only did they enter the vessel at his word we learn from Matthew that he entered it first they accompanied him they were accompanied by the Lord of heaven and earth they were accompanied by the Lord of all well one might ask didn't he know that a sudden violent storm would arise on Galilee? Didn't he know that it would soon turn its fury against them? Its gales would be tossing high waves and threatening to drown them all, to put them into a watery grave. Didn't he know? Naturally speaking, this could have been the first time these experienced commercial fishermen had a storm like that. They'd had massive storms before. They were experienced fishermen. Storms would sometimes quickly arise on the Sea of Galilee. But they knew how to maneuver their, their boat. They knew how to survive a storm. They'd done it, obviously, many times over. They were experienced with that. The Sea of Galilee was 680 feet below sea level. And it was surrounded by hills and high cliffs Especially was it on the east side. And then there was Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon stood 9,200 feet above the Sea of Galilee. There would come cold air currents that would rush down from Hermon through those cliffs and crevices. The narrow passes between the, uh, the steep hills that would collide with warmer air when it hit the bottom 
and that would produce violent storms, sudden storms. It would lift the waves high, pushing, of course, against the ships or boats that were on it. Would they learn before, surely, how to secure their boat, how to brave the storms? So we comprehend that the violent storm that day was probably the worst one they'd ever encountered. The boat was tossing and turning and filling with water. and They were desperate. They were feeling completely helpless. They couldn't do anything. To them it looked as if imminently they're going to perish. The boat is going to sink. They're going to be in a watery grave. They're overtaken with fear. But in the boat, the Lord Jesus sleeps. He sleeps with the waves violent against the boat, with the winds incredibly strong, with the boat reeling to and fro. He sleeps. He has a calm sleep. That violent storm couldn't awake him. He's greatly fatigued, obviously. Because when you read of the life of Christ, you read of his labors, it seems they were always to the point of complete spent strength. They would be often exhausted. And of course this evidenced his true manhood. He was man, all of man as well as all of God. But it was not his extreme fatigue that caused him to sleep in the midst of a violent storm. It was not simply needed rest after exhausting labor. You read in the life of Christ at times, he would pray all night. He would labor all day and pray all night. But he completely trusted in his father's care at all times. Marvelous to behold the calm of the Lord Jesus Christ. The complete trust in the care of his father. But back to our question. Did he not know the violent storm was coming? Of course he did. Of course he knew. He willed it. As much as he would steal the storm, all things were in his hands. The Father loveth the Son and giveth all things into his hand. We learn in John chapter 3. Verse 35, the massive storm, the sleeping Savior, fear, extreme fear mixed with little faith, the strengthening of that faith in the midst of the storm and the calm following was for the good of his disciples, but not only for them, for us too. It's for us to learn, too. Not only did it serve to strengthen the faith of those fearful disciples that day in that storm-tossed vessel, bringing greater glory to our ever-loving and ever-caring Lord, it also serves for us as a parable. For us, it's a parable about the sea of life and the turbulences that can come. Sometimes pretty bad. 
severe from time to time. The trying storms, they must come. The Lord, though, in control of all the trials of his redeemed, sometimes seems to be asleep. Sometimes it seems we're all on our own, doesn't it? And our faith is being tried. Sometimes in the midst of difficult things, it's we get our mind, our heart, there. That's where they are, on the difficulties, the hard things, the desperations. How are we going to get out of this? Or what's going to happen? And it seems the Lord is not there to help us. Our faith is being tried. Our faith is being tried. And there's something that's taking place. Where there is genuine faith in the biblical sense of that. Trust in God. That trust in God is manifested in prayer. In believing prayer. And so we have this passage to teach us something about fervent, effectual prayer. Carest thou not that we perish? Carest thou not that we perish? You know, it's wondrous that in the midst of our hard things, we can come to our Lord honestly. We can express our hearts before him. He already knows it. <laughs> he already knows everything we're thinking. Thou hast known my down sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. As the psalmist wrote. The winds are fierce. The sea is raging. The boat is violently reeling to and fro. Water. Is rushing into it. The despair of fear and total helplessness grips their hearts. And he, whom they have followed, and whom they follow, to whom they have committed their selves, lies sleeping as if he were sailing in perfect calm. He is in perfect calm. He is indeed in perfect calm. The violent storm doesn't awake him. It's obvious. They, in some measure, believe that he is able to save them but he sleeps in peace while they're overcome with paralyzing fear. All they can think of is what appears to be their desperate plight. Yet knowing that their only hope is with him and him only, there's a small measure of faith that emerges in the midst of their fear. And the cries come in Matthew. We learn they cried, Lord, save us, we perish. In Mark, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Had they forgotten his words? Had they forgotten? Let us go over unto the other side. Let us go over unto the other side. They will learn that what he says 
no matter what appears to be against it, no matter what appears to be opposed to it, that what he says will not fail and can never fail. My, if we learn that, that's a strengthening of faith. Why? Why does it seem in the midst of afflictions, disappointments, hard things, dangers, conflicts, that though he has promised, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, he seems to be asleep while we're allowed to suffer without his help. Why is that? Oh, listen. It's because he is helping. He is helping. He's helping our unbelief. He's working to strengthen faith where any of it is true in measure. He's showing us that when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. He's showing us that his word is true and that we can trust him no matter what rages without, no matter how things seem. If you are the object of his loving redemption, if he has redeemed you, saved you by his grace, brought you to himself, and you belong to him. He cares for you. And there's no difficulty that comes unless it's necessary. If we can lay hold of that, that's a measure of progressing somewhat in our knowledge of him and in faith. Peter, Peter was on board that day. He was there. He cried with the rest of them, Carest thou not that we perish? Carest thou not? But later, Peter would learn of Christ more than he had before. Learn of his purpose in trial and difficulty and affliction. And he would write to those who were coming under severe persecution in 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him. For he careth for you. Men may want this for what they can get out of us. He careth for you. Men will hurt you. It doesn't matter to them many times. He careth for you. Nothing is appointed but that it is for our good that we're being made more into his image. Oh, we could lay hold of that. How calm we could be. Here on the lake, dangerous waters, threatening a watery grave. There, consuming fire of persecution, literal fire in some cases. All to teach us to trust him, no matter what. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1 and verses 5 through 9 were kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time when you greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be you're in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth though it be tried with fire might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You see, this world is not to have our attention, our full attention. We have a hope laid up for us in heaven. We're on a journey. This journey is not complete. We're strangers, pilgrims in this world. 
heading toward our true home. And all the way, our Lord is guiding. All the way, He is with us. And oh, how easy it is to get our minds and our hearts and our desires all on this world. And all the securities that we can gain in this world. And the Lord comes along by His wondrous mercy to shake us up. And make us realize this is not your home. And you'll reach that destination only by His will. The violent weather that day. It couldn't awake him. That's amazing. We can only imagine in our mind what that, what that incredible violent storm was like. So much so that experienced fishermen thought they were going to perish. He lies asleep in the boat. The howling winds didn't awake him. The lashing, violent waters didn't awake him. The reeling of the to and fro of the ship didn't awake him. What did? What awoke him? Lord, save us. We perish. Carest thou not? That we perish. The Lord does not require a perfect faith for Him to hear us. To rescue us, not only from the storm without, but the storm that takes place within. The turbulence within. Sometimes that's far worse than the turbulence without. Even in the midst. Even when it requires sometimes a loving reproof. He will show us that all is still in his power. Under his complete control. And we who are redeemed by him. We're in his hands. In his redemption. <laughs> oh. In his redemption. He took upon himself to secure the salvation of his redeemed sheep, those for whom he died and redeemed and called by his gospel. He put the responsibility for us getting to glory in his own hands. I am glad. Aren't you glad? The salvation is of who? <laughs> the salvation is of the Lord. It's in his sovereign hands. And we're in his hands. In the midst of the storm. Before he commands the winds and the waves, be still. He will show us the only way that the turbulence of fear can be calmed. As he says here in verse 40, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Fearful. Fearful because faith is weak. The trial needed to show that when he is with us, no outward trouble can destroy us. It's only unbelief that's being destroyed. There's one thing we learn in Scripture that if we're void of, 
It's absolutely impossible to please God. What is that? What is that? Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is. That He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So what does the Lord destroy in our trials? If you and I belong to Him, He is destroying our unbelief. He's bringing us to look to Him and to learn of Him and to trust Him. And the measure of our calm the measure of our calm is only consistent with the measure of our trust in Him. If we trust in Him, we need not be tossed about with worry and fear. And worry and fear will diminish our faith in Him. Learn of Him. We're to learn of Him. That's what we should learn as we're brought through trial. As hard things have to be faced, getting your attention off this world and your position in it and putting it upon your position in Him and things that matter for eternity. learning that's not our efforts that can calm us his words become to us promises wondrous promises I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what flesh you'll do unto me. You ever read those facts? Sometimes it's meditate. Many times in prayer. Uh, because we all go through trials. We all fight with fears sometimes. Because we don't have a perfect faith yet. But the Lord is working on it. <laughs> He's doing the work. There are things we want to do. We're things we want somebody else to do. But the Lord himself has to do it. The Lord has to save us. We don't save ourselves. He saves us. Salvation is his. If he brings us to himself, we have to learn that he keeps us kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He keeps us. Study the Psalms. What Jordan tell me you're reading the Psalms? Meditate on the Psalms. Meditate on David when he's in warfare, when it looks like he's going to be destroyed, when there are enemies on every hand. What do you see him saying? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall he be afraid? He learned that as a boy when he went to a giant named Goliath. Trusting God and slaying the giant. He writes, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Well, similar to the Isaiah 26 we quoted earlier in verses 3 and 4. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. There are going to be hard things faced. When Paul gives the promise, God gives it through him in Romans 8, that all things work together for good, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, does that say you're going to have smooth sailing all the way to glory? No. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For thy sake we are killed all the day long. Yea, 
In all these things we're more than conquerors. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Dear Saint, you whom Christ has saved by his wondrous grace, you're going to reach the shore of your heavenly home. The winds and waves are his servants. The natural world he created. And he arises. He casts his voice into the violent howling waters. And a miracle takes place. A miracle happens. Verse 39, he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. You know what happens generally when the wind subsides? It takes a while for the waves to subside. Because it put the water in motion. So it takes a while for the waves to then subside. But when he said, peace be still, the waves subsided. It was perfect calm. Immediately. Immediately. Peace be still. No delay. Immediately the elements obeyed his voice. <laughs> the sea was calm. He, the incarnate Christ, who became bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, was shown indeed he needed sleep. But he arises by his power over the elements, they subside. I know, John, there's some controversy about whether Christ does that as the the man, the second or last Adam, or God. But I read things like only God can raise the dead in Scripture. I hear the Lord Jesus himself saying in John what is it, chapter, I'm not sure exactly where it is, but I can quote it, John 5, the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. <laughs> Distinct deity. He's one with the Father. That's in a passage where a man who lay 38 years lame at the pool of Bethesda, he told him to take up his bed and walk. And he did upset the Pharisees, not because he healed the man, because he'd done it on the Sabbath. He says, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. That means he and the Father do the very same work. It's a deity. That's deity. He does the same work as the Father. They understood that. Because they took up stones to cast at him. Why? Then because he not only broke the Sabbath, but said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. In John's Gospel, what do we learn? Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, you might have life through his name. He does what he does in union with the Father. Oneness with the Father. Even 
when violent winds quickly subside. The ocean then slowly calms down. Only by his incredible authoritative word did both winds and waves immediately become perfectly still. The astonished disciples now learn more about him than they did before. This should be our focus, to learn of him. Their faith would become strengthened because of this difficult thing they went through. They would know that he's even far greater than they before had imagined. What manner of man is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. These are the men who would become his apostles. Through whose word we come to know who it is that still the raging storm that incredible day. These are the men who would trust him when all of the powers of darkness would turn against them. Would they go into a world that hates them, would want to kill them, of whom it would yet be said they turned the world upside down. These are the men who would be eyewitnesses to a far, far greater miracle. As Peter would write, they were eyewitnesses of his resurrection. The risen Christ. The risen Christ who poured out his blood, shed his blood on the cross. The risen Christ whose side was pierced by a Roman sword to make sure. The risen Christ, who died and lay three days in the grave, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Nothing else explains the apostles. Nothing else explains biblical Christianity. To this day. They were eyewitnesses of his resurrection. These are the men. Who like John the apostle. Would come to know. Far more. Of what manner of man it was. That had power over sicknesses. Demons. Death. And nature itself. As John would write. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything that made a uh, made that was made. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. They would tell us that he, who is man inclusively, but God essentially, died as a sacrifice to remove our sins, to bring us into his eternal kingdom, to be forever with him. They would assure us that trusting him only, following him truly, we shall never perish. Isn't that a wonderful promise? We might go through the turbulence of this life. We might go ups and downs. We might have times of lapse. But if by God's wondrous grace he has brought you to himself and you have looked to and trusted in Jesus Christ, you have the promise. You have what kind of life? Eternal life. And you cannot perish. We learn we're kept not by our own power, but by, quote, the power of God unto salvation. 
ready to be revealed in the last time so that the storms of this life can't swallow you up. They might look like it. They might feel like it. But when thou passest through the waters, he says, I will be with thee. These men were in the presence of a far greater man than any man ever and would only increase in the knowledge of him of whom they, being astonished, marveled at. Because the winds and the waves could not resist his will. So may we learn something. May we who are in Christ, who know him, who belong to him, who by faith have committed ourselves to him. May we too learn that the winds and waves of trial cannot destroy us, only bring us to a greater knowledge of him. If it takes that to increase our knowledge in the glories and excellencies of our magnificent Lord, may they come. May we learn to call upon him even when faith is small. To hear his word spoken to our own turbulent souls. Peace. Be still. And when this storm-tossed sea of life is done he shall call all that caused our fear in the midst of our too little faith to cease forever. <coughs> wonder if we had some kind of prophetic animation in the Old Testament scriptures about this. As well as application to our own souls. The one thing to know the scripture, another thing to apply it. We must apply it by faith. Was there something in the Old Testament that described even what happened here? Let's look in Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Let's see. Psalm 107. And we'll read verses 23 through 32. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven, they go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man, and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh a storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet, and he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. If you've never heard his word, if you're lost in sin, you're going to have trouble in this world. It's unavoidable. Sometimes pretty difficult trouble. If you're lost, and admit it, that you're a sinner, your greatest need is of a Savior, 
He alone saves. Believe. Believe on him. Trust him with your very self. You'll find out the day after you come to truly trust Jesus Christ with your very soul that all has changed. Trust him. He's able to give you the gifts of repentance from sin and faith in himself. And may God grant you and me who know him to increase in the knowledge of our Lord. To increase in the knowledge of him. To learn of him. In learning of him, we learn to trust him. Where is that hymn? Only trust him. <laughs>